Well, good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity Church. So glad that you've joined us for worship today. We are continuing our series today based on the last three parables that Jesus taught before the ordeal of the cross. This is how Matthew remembers it. Today, we are turning to the parable of the talents. Keep count. All right, all right. Hello, church. How you doing? You doing all right? Hanging in there? Good to see you. My name is Wade. If we have not met or you're new here, I'm one of the pastors and uh, glad to be with you um, today. Just a reminder of where we are. We're at the end of the Christian year. You know, next week is, the, is, is New Year's Eve for the Christian year, and then it begins fresh and new with the season of Advent. And uh, Pastor Kim and I are, are leading a three weeks where we're looking at the lectionary readings. That's a really fancy kind of chart that uh, suggests readings for the church to consider for a Sunday for worship. And we're doing that these three weeks, and we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew. Those are appointed. And these are the last parables, the very last parables that Jesus told prior to the ordeal of the, of the cross. And uh, we move today over to uh, chapter 25, and we start at verse 14, and this is the story that Jesus uh, told as a parable. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master." And the one with two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have, re I would have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given and they will have an abundance but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. 
As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Wow, that was a real exciting thanks be to God because this is, <laughs> is this a text that's hard to say thanks be to God uh, to it? This is a tough text. This is a tough parable. Um, y'all, I have struggled with this one um, this week. I'm looking for a thread that uh, would speak something to us, some word of grace, some encouragement in our journey. And as I begin to think about that, I started to wonder about those rare, exceptional people that are in this world that seem to have a giftedness that's far and beyond other people who do the same thing in their area. You you know those type of people? You know what I mean? Uh, Oftentimes, we call them outliers. We call them outliers because what they are able to do is far beyond the norm of what others like them are able to do. They're just exceptional in whatever their thing is. And in the world, there's just a couple of them. There are not a lot. And so as I was working on this parable, I began to think about that. So let's, let's try on a couple of examples of these, of these outliers. One of the first places I often go is, is musicians. I love music. And, and, and let's think specifically about musicians who sing. For my entire life, y'all, I have always wished that I could sing. I mean, I, I've always wanted to be a great singer. Now, I can carry a tune. I can do that. I've sung to you a time or two. Um, I can get through a chorus. And I'm grateful for that. But what I mean is that I've always really wanted to be able to, to sing. You, you know what I mean? To really sing. I mean, like those people you see sing that it looks like they've put zero effort out, and it's amazing, and it it just moves the whole crowd. So I got a little distracted in my sermon writing, and I began to think about some of them, and you know, it might just be like one of those moments for people with short attention spans, like mine, where you look out the window and you see a squirrel. It happened. Not only did I think about these people, then I started listening to their music, and there's just a there's just a couple on my playlist, and, and, and I'm going to share a couple with you, and this will reveal a little something about my age and my music taste. Guess who I started with? Who? I didn't hear that. Billy Joel. Now, I didn't start with Billy Joel, but there's one. I started with the queen, Aretha Franklin. Are you with me? I mean, there's just something about that voice. There's something about it that moves me. And I've always been a huge fan. And by the way, if you have never seen the video of when Aretha Franklin sang at the Kennedy Center Awards, go home today, open up YouTube and watch it. It might be Aretha at the top. So after Aretha, I moved on to Whitney Houston. And after Whitney Houston, I moved on to Jennifer Hudson. Do you see a pattern? Divas. They're all divas. Why do we call them divas? Because they're outliers. They're exceptional. There was only one Aretha Franklin. There was only one Whitney Houston. And there is only one Jennifer Hudson. So I was still chasing the squirrel, and I moved on to Mozart. Now there's a whiplash, right? 
I have made it no secret that I believe that the very best composition of music in all of history that has ever been written is the Mozart Requiem. I won't even debate you on that because humbly I know that I'm right. You know, our choir just performed that a couple of weeks ago. It was amazing. It was amazing. So uh, I drug our, my poor sister Kim into it. You know, sometimes when I'm chasing squirrels, I, I, pull, I drag Kim along, and she loses a whole lot of time chasing squirrels with him. We began to just really reflect on people in this church who we are in awe of and what they're able to do. So I did take a significant detour when I was sermon writing, and I will let you know that I'm not sorry I did it because it really informed me something about this text. Um, Those people, because they invested, follow me, they invested their gift in the world, the world is a richer place because of it. So I started thinking then about significant people And names came to mind like Martin Luther King Jr. and and Mother Teresa. The world would be poorer if they had never done that in the world and shared their peace as well. So what have they all done? Because God gifted them, because God knit something into them that they were willing to to not, not bury and keep it safe, but to expose it to the world and share it, the world is a different place. And it made me start to wonder, what if they had never shared that with the world? And this, this parable is difficult. It's difficult because it's so multi-layered. I mean, I read so many scholarly papers this week, which was not a squirrel chase. It was a slog. <clears throat> And scholars can't agree on what this parable is trying to say. Why did Jesus tell this story at the end of his public ministry? It's not that folks get it wrong. It's just Jesus is doing so much in this one story. But this one thing that caught my attention is this bit about the three servants. And do you remember when I read the text where it said that, that this is really important, that, that he gave to each of them an amount according to their ability. Do you remember that part? According to their ability. And you know what that says? It's really good news for people like me that maybe I'm not one of those exceptional outliers and and I would stay in the shadow of sharing something with the world because I wasn't like Whitney Houston or Martin Luther King Jr. It, it It says to me, that God can use mine because I will give according to ability. So that gets us all in together. We all have a measure of something that God has carefully knit into us. And in this congregation, as I've said, there are outliers. And man, I am in awe of you and, and, and what you're able to do and change the world. But most of us fall in those other categories. And does that make our engagement any less important? And I think this parable says no. Because collectively, we can change the world regardless of our ability because God's economics around this are a little bit different than the world's economic structure. God's economic structure works like this. 
we sow into the world in the name of Jesus Christ, and God multiplies it beyond what we could ever imagine it can do. Now, I think this text rolled around in the lectionary at a really timely, um, is really timely for us. We have a challenge right now in our society in this post-pandemic time. We have a problem, and that happens even in the church. And that problem is that for some reason, folks have fallen out of rhythm of investing these things in the world. And, and, and one of the ways that we see that is in volunteering and in serving others, and that limits the ability for faithful mission. It's as if we took our stuff during the pandemic and we found a safe place in the yard and we buried it, but, but golly, we need to get out our shovels. It's time to get them out. And, and I'm not going to dwell on it a whole lot, but things didn't go swimmingly well for that last dude, right, who buried his treasure. Now, I'm just saying, I'll let you figure out what that means. So there's a reflection on this text today. I hope, I hope you, it doesn't make you feel guilty. That's not, you know me well enough, that's not my style. I don't do that. This reflection on the text is for me my prayer that we, Trinity, and beyond our whole reach, that we get out our shovels and carefully find that buried thing that God needs us to sow into the world that we buried for some reason and invest it for the sake of Jesus. And what's some of that stuff that can change the world? What, what is it that that's something that God has given us according to our ability that we can invest in the world, that we can walk around those who bear the image and the likeness of God as we wander the earth. And I want to tell you some of that stuff. And here it is. We've got grace. Grace upon grace. And if we bury that grace that we know for our own safekeeping, how will the world experience grace. We've got forgiveness to share with the world. We've got mercy for the world to experience. We've got peacemaking. We've got compassion for the poor and the marginalized and the dismissed by society. We've got hope to share with the world. And that pretty significant stuff that we experience in joy, and Jesus is clear about, about having just us, no one else, to get that stuff out into the world. But what if we take that treasure and we just safely keep it like it's buried in the yard? How will it ever get into the world? It's ours to do. So dig it up. Dig it up. Get your shovel out. Pull it from the safety of being buried in the ground and invest it in the world. Now, it's risky to do that, isn't it? You see, one of the understandings of this parable is that um, what Jesus is really doing, because it's an apocalyptic text, is he is um, sharing a commentary on what it means to be his follower living in the Roman Empire. That the master may actually be the Roman Empire, and those who are left out are the followers of Jesus because they won't invest in a kingdom of this world. Are you with me? But instead, Jesus' followers invest in the kingdom of God. And the return goes to God's kingdom, not to the kingdoms of this world. We as followers of Jesus, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And that's where Jesus is drawing his, uh, his followers to understand. And that is risky. 
There are all kinds of risks and rewards, but there's this common reason that we are risk averse, and it's because it's right there in the text, it's because we're afraid. Fear, fear is, is natural. Sometimes it's a healthy reaction that keeps us safe. I mean, a healthy fear of fire prevents us from getting burned, but an unhealthy fear of fire will also keep you from enjoying s'mores, right? There's got to be a balance between fear and reward. Risk is at the heart of these three servants. And, and there is the one who's... Uh, uh, has no fear of risk and one who's risk adverse. So of that stuff, forgiveness and love and mercy and hope and all of that that we possess because we belong to God that, that we need to share with the world, I want to just take one of that list and talk about it a little bit, and that is love. I can't tell you how many times in all of my years of ministry that I sat with a family who has lost a loved one like right when it happened or right after. And in the conversation, we start talking about how, the, how painful that is. And they talk about the pain that they're feeling. And inevitably, the conversation will roll back around to this bit of rest, risk. And they'll say something like, you know, I loved her so deeply. And I knew when I was falling in love with her that there was a risk of loving someone so much that if something like this ever happened, the pain would be unbearable. And in the conversation, it almost always goes here, that they will say, but you know what? It was worth the risk. The love that I experienced, the love that I knew in my life, even the pain that's unbearable now, it was worth risking love. Love is risky. Love that that we have from God in our own lives is risky to invest in the world because sometimes it forces us to do stuff we don't want to do. It forces us to love somebody that's unlovable. That's risky. Sometimes it forces us to express love to folks um, much to the dismay of some of our friends and family. Love forces us to acknowledge that And love those in our society that society brushes aside because they matter to God. And as we say here at Trinity, because they matter to God, they matter to us. And our only course is to love them. Even when our favorite airwaves continue to drive into us and to reinforce in every news cycle that to love those people, to love that group of folks... Um, is counterproductive to our own needs and our own, own wants and our own desires. But you see, that's the kingdom of the world saying that. The kingdom of God is different. People matter to God. They matter to us. And they're worthy of God's love if we're the ones that have to show and to share that love. Jesus taught that love is at the heart of good news. Our world was created for love and in love, and the job of extending love of God into the world is given to you. God invested so much love in you through Jesus' life and ministry, death and resurrection, that we could never repay, repay that. And the good news is we don't have to repay it. We just need to pay it forward and live it forward into the world. So living the gospel requires some risk. 
It's inherent in saying, I forgive you. It's, in, it's inherent in saying, let me express some mercy. It's inherent in saying, I'm going to love you even though all these people around me um, are, are pushing me not to do that. Living the gospel involves that risk. And when you take the risk, what's happening is the grace of God is working through you. So this, we got this stuff because we follow Jesus. We got love. We've got grace. We've got mercy. We've got forgiveness. We've got all this stuff. And Jesus calls us to not bury it and hold it safe for just ourselves, but to invest it in the world. And you know what? When you give away grace, when you give away love, when you give away forgiveness, what happens to it in God's economics? It is multiplied. You can't run out. I don't got to save a little bit of that grace so I run out for me because when that grace is extended in the world and it's multiplied, so too in our own lives. So what do you got to do? What do you got to do to share this stuff of God that we possess with someone today? Where might you serve someone else so that God's love gets extended into the world what would the world look like? Y'all, just think, what would the world look like if every person who claims to follow Jesus seriously invested that stuff of God everywhere they wandered? Now, I'm not going to let, let us off the hook quickly on that one. Everywhere you go, every place your foot drops, what if you were sowing grace into that place and moment? What if, you were, what if you were investing love into that place and moment? What if you were speaking a word of hope every single place you go and every place you stepped? So what do you got buried? Get out your shovel. You can borrow mine if you need it, but I need it back because I still got stuff I got I to gotta do um, as well. You see, we named some exceptional people at the beginning, some outliers. But you know, in God's kingdom, we're all outliers. And we all have the capacity to make the world better because we're willing to invest that as well. You've got it. You've got this. That stuff that's been showered in your life. If you've buried it, dig it up. Give it to the world. And be a world changer. Every place your foot goes for the sake of and in the name of Jesus Christ. Dig it up and share it. Let's pray. God, you're... you're the gifts of your love and the gifts of being in relationship with you through Jesus are beyond measure. And we'll confess that sometimes we take them for granted. We take, we take your grace for granted and your mercy. We take your love for granted. We take your forgiveness in our lives for granted. But help us to focus on a world that seems to be without grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. And if it's going to be in the world, who's going to do it? We are. Help us to be those who distribute that grace and love and mercy and all of your gifts into the world. Help us to be your companion in being a world changer all the way up to and beyond the moment that the world becomes what you dream it can be. And we'll be careful to give you the thanks and praise that you have used us, that we've done something differently 
because we follow one named Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So thanks for being in worship with us today. Trust that you will have a blessed week. Look forward to being back here next week as we continue our journey through those last three parables of Jesus' life. God bless you. Have a great week.